it's a unique situation to be in a place where my children are growing and thriving and my mom is doing the opposite. Hi everyone, it's Jana Panaritis and this is episode 117 of the AgeWise podcast. You can tell from that brief excerpt that today's guest is going through something really difficult. While her kids are growing and thriving, her mom, who has dementia and lives with her, is going, as she says, in the opposite direction. Being a mom to your mom while raising kids is the subject of today's show. It's raw and brave. And before we get into it, I just want to thank my guest, Irene Atkinson, for having the courage to do this interview. Here's the show. I'm joined today by Irene Atkinson, who's living in Austin, Texas, and is a primary caregiver for her mom. Irene, welcome to the AgeWise podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about your background. Are you from Texas? Yes, I'm from Texas. I was born in Connecticut, though. I'm first and second generation Polish. My dad is actually was from Warsaw, and oh. my mom's parents are also from Poland. So um, I grew up in Houston, Texas. We moved here when I was like one. So my only memories in growing up are of Texas, but I grew up very much in a household that was European, Polish-centered. My dad spoke Polish. My mom spoke Polish. We went to Polish church. So I grew up not your typical, what you'd think of like a Texas lifestyle, uh-huh. I guess, <laughs> when you're living here. There's actually a really rich community of people. My, You know, when my parents moved here, they didn't move here alone. There was a community of people. And I can remember being little thinking it was so, well, it was, it was normal to me, but I guess interesting as I got older that my parents had all these friends that were from Connecticut um, and New York that, you know, my dad is, was a machinist. And so that was his trade that he learned in Warsaw. So when he came over to Poland, he met the Polish community there. And then a lot of people during the oil boom in the late 70s there were a lot of jobs here in Texas and Texas was seen as like the big dream down here. Lots of cheap land, lots of jobs. So they moved down here following that trend and then a community came with them. And so Houston actually has like a really rich community for Polish people. There's a lot there, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people there. Were you speaking Polish in your household growing up? I didn't speak it very much, but I understood it very well Mm -hmm. um, because that is primarily what my dad spoke. And then, you know, as I said, my mom would speak. And so understanding it had to happen. It was like when your parents would spell things in front of you and you're motivated to learn to spell. So it's kind of the same thing with speaking. I didn't ever learn it like formally, but um, I could communicate. Like my dad would talk to me in Polish and I would respond in English and like uh-huh. a little bit of Polish. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really great. My family is Greek. And so I grew up kind yeah. of in the same way, but in a Greek format. <laughs> so I had a sense yeah. of my culture, but also I, I'm very American in lots of ways. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it was cool. But at the same time, I don't know, as a child, I think I felt it to be, as a grown up, maybe I think it was isolating because my parents, culture at home is very different from my friends. I sure. Mean, they didn't do anything um, normal. I, I never saw my dad like one time went to eat out in a restaurant. Other than that, he's eating like, you know, Polish food at home and we're going to Polish church. He never did a lot of American things or, you know, Oh, that's really interesting. Picnic. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, we were very... So <laughs> you're first generation. So my dad was from Warsaw and right. then my mom, who is was born in Brooklyn, both of her parents came over from Poland. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So you're, you're a little bit of both, first and second. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your dad is no longer living? No. He passed when I was 28. Um, mm-hmm. I'm 41 now. Mm-hmm. So um, he passed of lung cancer. 
And my mom was his caregiver at the time. I was up here in Austin, and um, he was diagnosed in August, and the next summer he passed away. It was pretty quick. I was 28. I was starting graduate school. I was going back to school, and I still remember, like, getting a call and finding out that was it and thinking, oh, my gosh, this isn't happening. And um, But, yeah, it went, it, it went by over a year, and then he passed. But my mom was his caregiver, and um, at the time she was still working and taking care of him, and that was really hard for all of us. My sister was in California at the time, mm-hmm. and um, but my mom was left with that primarily. I would go down there. But, I mean, I had started grad school, so I couldn't, like, just go whenever I wanted um, mm-hmm. to, to see him. And he was going for regular treatments for radiation. It was so far along that they couldn't remove it with his health, mm-hmm. um, the cancer. And then it spread quickly, and he was in hospice. And when he was in hospice, I went to visit him. And, How um, old was he? He was 72. Oh, that's pretty young by today's mm-hmm. standards. Considering he smoked since he was probably 10, oh, um, it's, okay. a, it's a surprise that it didn't happen sooner. Uh-huh. <laughs> he didn't, you uh-huh. know, it was kind of like not a, I don't know, it yeah. was kind of in the time when everybody was realizing like, hey, smoking is really bad for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so after sorry. your dad died, your mom, did she continue to live on her own? And how long did she continue to live on her own? She did, 10 oh. years. She continued to live on her own until three years ago. And did she continue to work? She did. So my dad passed, and then she was working for 10 years. And then, yeah, so three years ago is when she came to move with us. And she continued to work the whole time. Oh, wow. And she was a school teacher? She was. She worked at a church preschool. She started that when I was in kindergarten, and she worked at the very same place. So your mom was relatively young when your father died, right? I mean, that was like... 15 years ago, 14 years ago, and she's, what, 70? So, I mean, that's relatively young in her early 60s. -hmm. The reason I raise that is because when people are widowed at an older age, it's often much harder, I think, to move forward. It's hard under any circumstance, but when they're younger, I think, you know, you can still see a lot of years ahead for yourself. You can still sort of see, oh, I've got, you know, God willing, I've got at least a couple decades if I maintain my health. So you have all this time, but then your partner's gone. So it's great that she continued to work. So what precipitated her move into your house? You know, it's all a blur before that. There were small indicators that I saw, that my husband saw, that my sister saw that we didn't really, weren't really sure things, you know, just things were seeming odd. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know the thing that stands out to my mind the most that was hard was when my son was born, which would have been a year prior to her moving in. She didn't come the day he was born. And with my daughter, she came immediately. And when my son was born, she told me that she needed to go to a wedding. And I was like, really? And my mom's not a super social. She's never been a super, super social person. Mm-hmm. Like she has a few close friends, but she's never the kind of like, oh, I'm going to have dinner with my girls or, you know, she really has not ever had kind of a life of her own outside of working and being a mom and a wife. Mm-hmm. And so for her to even choose to be going to a wedding to people that I really didn't even know what it was, was it was some um, kids that, you know, because she had been teaching preschool for so long and she was a bit of a legend there at the preschool, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the kids, you know, I mean, at that time, they're getting married. So it was, she was going to a wedding for one of the children that she had had, like, you know, 20 years prior or whatever. It was odd to me, but I was okay with it because I had a lot of support up here, but it was odd. And I really remember thinking, 
at the time, like, this is really weird. And then, but then just pushing it down. When I look back now, I realize that I think that was kind of a sign because I, I've told her about it since then. And she's like, what? Wedding? What are you talking about? What wedding did I go to? She doesn't, there's no significance there. So I still don't quite understand like how that happened, but it was kind of one of the big indicators. And then there were little things along the way, like I said, that are kind of blurry. But the main thing was that um, her friend actually reached out to me and called me. We were um, at my husband's grandparents' farm and like riding on a four wheeler, mm-hmm. looking at cows. Mm-hmm. And she called me really alarmed and said, you know, I've really been wanting to talk to you because I think that she, she kind of made a joke that maybe my mom would be um, not an amber alert, but the, the silver alert. Right. I think she's trying to make light of it. Uh-huh. She's a really, I mean, I'm really close with her. I've known her. She's like my aunt. She's my mom's best friend. Mm-hmm. And she's younger than my mom by about 15 years, mm-hmm. I guess maybe 10 years. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so um, she said that she had concerns for mom getting lost and that mom was calling her and, you know, being a very familiar area where, where they live and not sure of where she was. And so she just said she was really concerned. And then at that moment, I think I called my sister and then we just kind of convinced mom to like just drive up here. It was all very sudden and quick and rushed. And we were just like pack a bag and get up here. And it's about two and a half hours up here. Hmm. So that that was the day. It, re- it really happened very sudden and quick and rushed. But it also is something that I've, we've always kind of talked with my mom about. When she left her job, I think we were kind of waiting. Like, I was hoping for her to build a life. She had been out of her job at that time since the previous spring, so almost a year. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of waiting to see if she was going to rebuild some sort of life down there without her job. Mm-hmm. Um, or that she would possibly come live with me and take care of the kids and we would cook and it would be great. But this was a different circumstance because we were all just concerned. And your sister was living in California still at that time? Uh-huh, at that time she was. And you felt comfortable instructing your mom to drive up on her own at that point? Yeah, I mean, we didn't really have a choice. And at that time, I mean, she was still driving, even though she would get a little bit lost. There hadn't been any incidents. There had been no, like, run-ins with the law or uh-huh. accidents. She, I don't think she I think she went her whole life, honestly, without ever having an accident. Uh-huh. So um, <laughs> she's uh, one of those people, like, she's just so, like, perfect and so great and so wonderful. And all that confidence that we had in her ability, I guess, maybe what carried us to say, mom's going to get uh-huh. herself up here. I remember she was having a problem with her cell phone, too. So it's like she didn't have a cell phone until she showed up. So we were just like kind of holding our breath, like, where is she? Is she coming? I don't know. It's kind of blurry remembering it. Did she pack a bag with the intention of going back? Or did you guys just think, let's just put a bag in the car and let's see what happens? Maybe she'll go back. Maybe she won't. Kind of. Uh, I I think that's what we told her is pack a bag. But I think that at that point we knew that she would be coming up here to stay like I said, it was something my husband and I had always, always discussed. We've always been really close with my mom, like mm-hmm. taking vacations with her and stuff. And um, we kind of hang out like pals. We've, we've done a lot of stuff together. Uh, mm-hmm. My husband and I have been together 20 years mm-hmm. and um, immediately very close and very close with my mom. So we kind of always talked with her that this would be something we would do. And um, I kind of just figured it was more like she was like lonely and just needed some purpose. See, my grandmother had Alzheimer's, and she had Alzheimer's at a time where you, you weren't necessarily diagnosed with Alzheimer's. You were diagnosed with just having mental mental issues. Mm-hmm. And so my mom was also my grandmother's caretaker when she was, I guess, maybe mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And so my whole life I grew up 
hearing about grandma who had Alzheimer's and how horrible everybody treated her and how she was treated like a mental patient. And my mom really, I don't think she ever told me like the full extent of the sad stories that she probably has about caring for my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Um, She told me some of them and, and I know growing up it was something that influenced me very much that kind of made me fear getting older. And that's some of the struggles that I have with being a caretaker is that I grew up with this fear of getting older that I saw through my mom. And my mom would tell me when I was little, when I get old, you're not going to put me in a home, right? Because she saw how hmm. they took care of her yeah. mother. Yeah. And it scared her very much of uh-huh. getting older. And I've asked my sister, you know, recently, several times, like, Mom, you ever said that to you? And she's like, no. Like, you don't remember her being really scared of getting old? And she's like, no. But she did have that conversation a lot with me. And so I kind of grew up with that. And then on top of that, I've never been around elderly people, like my whole life. And we don't have family. I don't have a lot of interaction with elderly people or how to interact with them. You know, I, I, wow, that's interesting. Kind of like an ignorant, yeah, I mean, I'm really isolated from that because I didn't have family. And then much of the people in our community, since a lot of them had moved down here from other parts, you know, they didn't have those people around. And my interactions with them, my interactions that I had just weren't great. So I didn't Uh have these great experiences. And so that's what leads me as a caregiver. Now it's one of the things where I feel really like ignorant to the fact of how to take care of somebody who is elderly and has, you know, needs that, that I just don't understand. Right. Sure. Sure. Well, were you working before your mom moved in? Um, no, I was a stay-at-home mom. Okay, at that time. and you you mm-hmm. told me in your email that at the time your kids were one and four, and now they're four and seven. Yeah. Your mom has her own room, and your kids share a room. And your house doesn't seem tiny, but how's that going for you? Um, that was one of the biggest struggles. As I sit out here in my unair conditioned garage in Texas, which it's not that bad today, uh-huh. but um, I'm it sorry, won't get that bad. <laughs> no, it's okay because this is our place. Like this is where my husband come. My husband and I come to have discussions. Like the kids know it. Like no, mom and dad are making a plan for the day. We're talking about things mm-hmm. um, because that's from when my mom moved in. That's one of the hardest things is like having some privacy, and the privacy comes from just simple things like when we're planning our day. You know, my mom might chime in with you know, what are we doing? And and the house isn't tiny, but I mean, she can hear me down the hallway and she'll hear us saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then she's in on the conversation that we're going to go do these things, but then maybe she's not coming with us or that's not necessarily what we're going to end up doing. So things like that. I mean, my mom's room is like three feet from my door. So, Mm -hmm. and we have one and a half staff. So that's also a little, Uh luckily we have that half, but it'd be nice if we had two bathrooms. Right. Well, did your sister consider having your mom move in with her? Why were you the one? I don't mean that Um, that menacing way. I'm just curious. Well, I think it fell into that this is where my mom wanted to live. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, being around children her whole life and being with her grandchildren, it just, why would she go move in with my sister when she could be here and be part of a family and have yeah. something to do? Mm-hmm. Um, even when my sister first moved here. And you asked me if my sister was living here when she came, and I honestly don't remember. My sister's been here right around three years. So she may okay. have been here but living like in a temporary duplex before she bought her home. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember that. But no, I mean, that wasn't even a consideration because of her bond with me and my husband and then the fact that I was staying home all day with the kids anyway. And while I was doing some work from home and I still do like um, via the internet and, Mm -hmm. you know, my 
my skills that I have there. It was nothing like my sister, who is an attorney and is, you know, busy all day at unpredictable hours doing long stretches of intense work where Mm -hmm. she really can't be available. Mm -hmm. It's also really great um, for older adults to be around young kids. Definitely. So your mom is now 77, you told me, and Mm -hmm. she has dementia, but don't tell her Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. (laughs) This is what she wrote. Don't do it. She won't trust you. That's really difficult. Hmm. You know, I used to think that if we could discuss it, it might make things better. Mm -hmm. But three years in, and I think you could probably hear me choking up, um, it's hard for me to talk about it without crying. Yeah. So I'm sorry. That's okay. (laughs) My mom has dementia as well, and it's taken me a while to get adjusted to it. But she's so mm-hmm. cute, and she still has a great sense of humor. So yeah. <laughs> we just agree with pretty much everything she says. Yeah, that, that's definitely a good way to go about it. But, but you know, it's taken me a long time to get there. It's taken me three years to kind of get there. Mm-hmm. To, to this point I am now that I can even, you know, agree to, to, to speak with you today. That was kind of one of my biggest concerns was, oh. I'm probably going to cry, you know, if you tried to talk to me even a year ago about this, I couldn't have got this far without crying, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, And that's part of my personality, but also just part of the fact that it's just deeply sad. It's hard to move through this without a guide, without, you know, knowing exactly if the steps forward that I'm making are really taking this forward or if if they're not. You know, one thing you mentioned about, you know, her being around the kids, we set it up that she does stay with my sister one night a week. And um, on those nights, it's hard for her because I know she misses us and she misses the kids. And you mentioned um, it's good to be around the children. And I'm at a point where it's like, it's kind of almost a selfish thing for me because I don't know that she really, I mean, I think she enjoys going there because, you know, that's her daughter a little bit. But she kind of complains about it because she gets a little suspicious of like, when am I coming back? Am I coming back here? I'm coming back here mm-hmm. tomorrow. You know, like mm-hmm. you have to discuss it every time and it's a little bit hard. Yeah. And often she expresses not wanting to go there. Um, yeah. I can totally relate to that. My yeah. sister, my mom lives with my sister four miles up the road from me in West Palm Beach, Florida. And um, uh-huh. I lived with my mom for three years after my father died. Uh-huh. And I noticed the signs when I was living with her that something was off, but I couldn't put my finger on it because she was also grieving. So I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. But now she lives with my sister. And every Sunday, my sister and my mom come over here for dinner. And I just wait on them both. Because my sister is the primary caregiver now. And um, uh-huh. my mom always asks me, it's, it breaks my heart. She says, now am I sleeping here tonight? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, right. you live with Zoe. Right, right. So right, right. I, I understand. I, I really do. So other than your husband, what other support are you getting right now in terms of just emotional support or, and ha- and has your health been compromised at all? Well, probably. Um, mm-hmm. I, stress doesn't do well with me. And um, I don't think I knew what stress was until my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was super stressful. And then um, when he died, we, we moved through that. And then now this, where I kind of picked my head up and realized, okay, stress is really affecting me. So the answer to that question, to make it a short answer, is yes. Um, the stress has been something that I've had a hard time getting a handle on. And um, before, when my mom moved in, we were sure that we would have a third child. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something that I don't think, since my mom has moved in, I've had two miscarriages. Oh. And um, it was really hard for me to move through those. Mm-hmm. So... That's difficult. Yeah. 
would you consider going to a support group? Do you have time for that? Um, I might. Now, as far as support goes, I haven't seen my therapist in a little while, but I have gone to therapy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm open to support in, in that manner. Um, I actually kind of space it out and go a couple times a year. As far as support group goes, when I reach out and I look, it's hard because my journey looking for support, it took a really long time because I didn't want to call myself a caregiver. To me, that word was demeaning to my mother. I think it was hard because she's always been the support for everybody and mm-hmm. she's always been like a best friend to me and like, and not best friend in a way of like, oh, let's go get our hair done together. Sure, But sure. a best friend as in, um, a better word might be just that she was my support. When things mm-hmm. were crashing down, I could call her and she had great advice for me. So it was hard for me to accept that role. The second thing is I had a hard time finding somebody and I guess I really just wanted this perfect situation of finding other moms who are caregivers that I have not found and um, I think I have a hard time too just relating to people who aren't in the middle of what I'm into I'm in the middle of this and often when I and this is just me like saying exactly what goes on when I'm online like trying to read people's stories or trying to find a group I feel like, you know what, I'm in this right now, and these people that are speaking are people that are outside of it, that have kind of moved through their journey. The problem is that since most people don't speak out till they're through it, that's the troubling side of, like, trying to find a resource of people that can actually, you know, give support. And so it just it doesn't feel familiar. I can't relate, I guess, because mm-hmm. I want to talk to somebody who's like me. It's a unique situation to be in a place where my children are growing and thriving and my mom is doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. And the way that I treat them is very similar. And it's taken me a while to get there, but treating them in that similar way has been really beneficial for my mom. But it's also, for me, it's just very difficult to move through. It took me a while to not go through a day without just crying because I would sit down and try to find resources online and I couldn't even read about it. Um, And honestly, I couldn't find great resources for it. It just wasn't there and I couldn't see through my tears to read anything anyway, so I would just move on to something else. And what I moved on to was writing. I thought, oh, I will do a blog and the blog will be about mom caregivers. Well, that was really hard because every time I wrote, I was just crying, crying, cry. So what I ended up doing was I just ended up writing, and um, I don't go back and read much of it, but um, mm-hmm. writing has been like a support for me good. to write these things down, and maybe good. one day I'll look back and read it. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you on the phone. It sounds like you kind of are, need to go. I want to ask, though, if you have any last thoughts or any advice you would give to folks who are just getting into this, if you want to share anything else. I feel like I don't know anything. I guess maybe my advice is just that it's normal to be confused and it's normal to be sad about things and just the old idea of putting one foot in front of the other to keep moving forward and just to keep trying different things. And if one thing doesn't work or one thing isn't suiting what's going on, then try something else. Irene Atkinson, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you for your courage and your candor. I really appreciate it, and I think people listening to this will really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Next week on the AgeWise podcast. We were all sitting around in their living room in the retirement community, and my mom stood up and announced that I am not dying in this dump. 
And it made me so upset because to me, a move to a condo, an apartment, meant that my dad's health would be sacrificed. That's Denise Brown, founder of caregiving.com. Denise has been helping folks like Irene for over 20 years. Next week, we're gonna hear her caregiving story, why she started caregiving.com, and lots, lots more. That's next Thursday, November 2nd, on the AgeWise podcast. Thanks for listening. The AgeWise podcast is produced and mixed by me and is distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. If you'd like to be on the show or just tell us what you think about it, send an email to Jenna at agewyz.com. I'm Jenna Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.